Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Well, God bless Texas. Yeah, that's more like it. That's more like it. You know, uh, I tell, I think all the time when I come down here, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters, and my father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters. And people said, well, it's just one of big families. Well, we lived on a 400-acre farm in East Tennessee, out in the middle of nowhere, a place called Turtletown. And so my grandmother got married when she was 15, had her first baby before she turned 16. And so we had kids to put them to work. It was manual labor. You know what that is, don't you? And so, uh, so we grew up working on a farm. And uh, what I loved, it. I loved where I grew up. And uh, never, went to a, never went to a restaurant to my senior in high school. Never left my county to my senior in high school. We thought, uh, we thought Ducktown, Tennessee was the world. We had about 750 people and had a main street. The jail's at one end, the church's at the other. Uh, we had nice street lamps, concrete sidewalks, a three-lane bowling alley, uh, Olympic-style swimming pool, golf course, airstrip. We had everything. We were in paradise. Uh, every time we'd have a Christmas parade, nobody watched because everybody was in it. <laughs> and then the 4th of July, we had a 4th of July parade every year. And again, nobody watched because everybody was in it. And so uh, it was just, I grew up in paradise. And I didn't know that until we moved out. My dad moved out when I started elementary school, moved to Chattanooga and got a job at a big factory. And, uh, and so we left my home place. And uh, he'd always say, son, Ducktown's a good place to be from. You don't want to be here. You want to be from here. If you stay here, you end up working in the mines, see either killed or crippled every man in your family. Plus, if you stay here, you end up marrying a cousin. <laughs> so I'm very thankful my dad got me out. <laughs> so, so anyhow, uh, I, uh, I worked as an engineer for 12 years. Then God got me spirit-filled, and I got uh, quit my job, sold my house, and moved to Oklahoma to go to Bible school. So. Uh, it took us three years to get to a two-year school because we moved slow. And uh, so uh, uh, got on got on a church staff and I uh, and, uh, said, well, what's my job? So well, you're the education director. I said, what is that? Well, you're in charge of education. I said, what are you teaching? We don't teach anything. That's why we need an education director. And so what kind of curriculum have? We don't have a curriculum. You're going to have to pick it out. And so we had a church of 3,000 people back in the late 70s and uh, uh, we don't even know why they came. We didn't invite them. Uh, we had three Sunday morning services, two Sunday night services. We had three buses uh, every service. And so if you were between the ages of 5 and 12, you couldn't come in the building. We didn't have room for you. You had to get on the bus. We rented out a shopping center about a mile and a half down from the church. And so we turned that shopping center into our children's ministry. And so we bus kids away from the church. And people would ask us, what kind of bus do you have? Well, we bus kids away. We don't bust them to us, we bust them away from us. And so we grew up in an incredible time. And uh, so I worked there for 10 years and I loved what I did. And uh, one of the things they put me in charge of though, they put me in charge of intercessory prayer. Now I couldn't even spell intercessory prayer. Now I prayed my whole life. I was, uh, I was in church four days after I was born. We were there every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, camp meeting, training union. We never missed church. I went to church my whole life. And so, uh, uh, I don't know if I saved, but I went to church. <laughs> and I carried a Bible. I didn't read it, but we'd wave it around a lot like it scared the devil. 
And so, uh, so anyhow, I was 21 working as an engineer, and I had this Spirit-filled Methodist came into my life, and he turned my life upside down, and, and uh, I got me filled with the Holy Spirit. And so God got the enlist about ministry, so I quit my job, moved to Oklahoma to go to school and got on the church staff, and, and they started us out like barely over minimum wage, and my wife cried, man, we're going to starve. No, we won't. We're going to be fine. We're, we're believing Jesus, and just believing Jesus every day. And so my family thought I'd gone nuts. They sent the deacons to my house. They thought I was in a cult. They came to get me delivered. I said, I'm not in a cult. I'm hanging out with a full gospel businessman. And they didn't understand that either. And so, uh, so the deacons were disappointed. They couldn't get me delivered. And so, uh, so anyhow, I realized from the day one, when you start walking with God, there is opposition. Uh, this planet is not our home. We're passing through. But we're here to be the salt and light of this planet. We're here to get people saved and get them blessed, lay hands on the sick, take authority over the devil. That's our job. So we'll never be laid off. We've got a job until Jesus comes to get us. So, yeah. So uh, I've always been a student of the Bible, and I love studying the Bible. So uh, I realized in 1948, Israel became a nation. And I realized from prophecy teaching that, well, God promised to come back in that generation, which... Um, most theologians believe, like I do, the generation is 100 years. So 1948, Jesus is going to come back somewhere around 2048, back off seven years tribulation, 2043, 42, or maybe go halfway through the tribulation. I don't know. But it's getting close. So I've always believed I would be alive when Jesus came back. I've always believed that. And so when I was a kid, they had the funerals at the house. We had an embalmer, but we did not have a funeral home. So, so if somebody died, they'd bring the body to the house and uh, get the casket out of the hearse and push the couch out of the way. And you bring the body in, lift the casket up, and we would sit up with the dead. And you'd sit up all night the day before the funeral and eat, you know, fried chicken, baked beans, potato salad, you know, oatmeal cookies. And so, uh, so your belly would get full of food. And, and so around midnight, you start telling the truth about the person in the cab. That no good north end of a southbound biscuit. And so, well, by the time the sun came up, you felt bad about all the bad things you'd said about the dead. So, so every, every funeral service was at 10 a.m. And we need to stick him in the ground. I need a nap. Stick him in the ground. I go to go to sleep. And so it helped the grieving process. It really did. And so uh, that's how I grew up. So when I got into ministry, uh, I had six kids. And that was odd. Nobody had six kids. But I did. I wanted a big family. Now, when my dad got married, he grew up looking for a biscuit to eat and some shoes to wear and a pillow to sleep on. So he didn't want a big family. He wanted one each. God made two kinds. I want one each. So I've got one sister and no brothers. So when I got married, I said, well, I'm going to verse this thing. I want, I want a big family. I want kids to take me to dinner on Sunday and send me on a cruise, buy me a Winnebago. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a demand on them. And I, since day one, I've talked to you. You owe me. Good measure. Press down. I've never told my kids, ever. I never said this. I'll be glad when you're out of my house. I didn't say that. I said, I'll chase you down. You owe me. And so, and, uh, and, so uh, and I have kids that said, don't you buy me anything cheap for Christmas. I go to Walmart by myself. You buy me something, it better be something expensive. So I tell people, I got a new pickup truck and two cruises out of the deal. Every year I say, hey, you got me, we're saving up, Dad. Same big cruise. I want a big cruise. And so, uh, and so they did what I set the standard to be. So parenting, I learned a lot about parenting by having a big family. They said, were you a perfect parent? Goodness, no. I was a doofus. I didn't know what to do. I just... I just learned by doing wrong. What'd you learn? Don't do that again. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that again. That didn't work. And so 
when I got on staff, they just assumed I knew a lot. I said, Joe, we need you to teach a parenting class. I said, okay. Well, Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. Now, we had two Sunday, three Sunday morning services and two Sunday night services. So we had a class at 5 o'clock. Church didn't start till 6. Then we had another service at 7.30. So at 5 o'clock, we had a class. Well, nobody wants to come to church at 5 o'clock on Sunday evening. So we got about 3,000 people in attendance. So my first class, we had 12 people show up. Uh, called Biblical Parenting 101. The only reason they came, they wanted to learn how to beat their kids legally and not get arrested. <laughs> I'm not making that up either. And so it was just a strange start. So, uh, and then one of the things they did, they put me in charge of intercessory prayer on Monday night. Well, Monday night's when all the staff had off. All the staff, their off day was Monday, except me and one other guy. Our off day was Thursday. Well, since I'm, I worked on Monday, I'm in charge of intercessory prayer. I thought, they must think I'm spiritual. No, you're the new guy. <laughs> you're in charge. And so I learned a lot about intercession prayer my first time. But uh, it was just wild. It, it was just crazy. I thought, well, a third of the people came to intercession prayer because they knew how to pray and they wanted to pray. And they didn't care who you were. They came to pray. A third came because they needed prayer. We heard y'all pray. Yeah, we do. Well, I need prayer. Well, come on in here. And then a third came to show off. We had people that cluck like a chicken and bark like a dog and rock back and forth. And so I had to drag them out. So my first three Monday nights, I kicked people out of intercessor prayer. And my pastor would call me in every Tuesday, Joe, I understand you kick somebody in intercessor prayer. Yeah, they were clucking like a chicken. We don't cluck down here. You can go home and cluck. I'm not clucking down here. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. No. And I had one lady, she'd bark, woo, 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 woo. We, hey, shut up. We can't pray. You're barking too, barking too loud. And uh, don't be weaving and rocking. You can do that when you go home. This is an aerobics class. This is, we pray for people here, you know. And so we had prayer cards we'd hand out. And so uh, I think my first or second Monday night, I got my prayer cards. We'd, we'd sing for about 15 minutes, then we'd break apart. So we got an hour and a half to pray. I said, go find some place in the room, get on your knees, stand up, sit in a chair. I don't care what you do, but pray over these people that turned in prayer requests. So God turned in the card, and I saw it, and he had been diagnosed with cancer. I said, well, I'm just fresh out of Bible school. So, well, I pled the blood and prayed for him that he'd live and not die, that, you know, and uh, I rebuked the devil and bound the devil and did all I knew to pray. And so then I go to the second card. I prayed all the prayer. That's all I knew. But go to the second card. And I got to the second card, and I felt, felt God say, you're not through with that first guy yet. I thought, huh. So I put that card back up. Well, I prayed all the same scriptures. That's all I know. I'm fresh out of Bible school. He'll live and not die with long life. Will you satisfy? I'm showing your salvation. I prayed the same scriptures. I thought, well, I got all the scriptures I know. So I go to the second card again. God said, no, you're not through. I thought, what in the world? I got a stack of cards. And so I'm sitting just praying. And I'm just kind of praying in the spirit to myself. And God said, cancer's not his problem. Anger's his problem. He's mad. I said, what? Yeah, he's mad. Oh, okay. So I started praying something to the Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus' mind. Uh, give him a clear conscience, you know, help him get this thing resolved so he'll live and not die. And I prayed a pretty good prayer, so I felt released. So I went on. Well, three months later, they're giving testimony Sunday morning service. And uh, I noticed this guy's name. These guys giving testimony. Two or three people give a testimony every Sunday morning. And so he's giving a testimony how he'd been diagnosed with cancer and that he had been healed. He was cancer free. And so it was a great testimony. I think, and then I recognized the name. Oh, that's the guy we prayed over in intercession prayer three months ago. And, oh, that's wonderful. And so he stayed cancer-free for years. I thought, man, that's amazing. That's, he was just mad. That's why he was sick. He was mad. And you can't go through life mad at people. Be angry and sin not. 
you can't get upset at people. People aren't your enemy. You've got an enemy, and Jesus put his foot on his head in the pit of hell. He's been whipped. But if you don't know that, you'll think flesh is your enemy. There is no human that's your enemy. There are mean people and selfish people and thumb-sucking people and rude people, you know. All you got to do is drive a car home, and you see that. <laughs> you ever heard so much horn blowing in your life? I didn't know people had honked their horn. I, I, don't think, I grew up, my dad never honked a horn. We never honked a horn. Today, you get honked out when you pull out of the driveway. I thought, what's the matter? People are just mad and been out of shape and they got no peace. So we got to change that. So anyhow, when I was put in charge of incest prayer, I also put in charge of this class on parenting and then on marriage. So for eight and a half years, I thought on parenting and marriage. And so I learned some stuff. So I, I said, well, we're going to do this. We need to go back to the beginning of the book. So I went back to Genesis. Now, I've, I got two degrees in theology, but they're pretty much worthless. So I went back and started, now I'm not joking, I'm serious. So I went back to Genesis, let's just start in Genesis, and we'll just start walking our way through. And so uh, I taught a class in our Christian school called Biblical Worldview. And so I would start in Genesis, work my way, 171 school days, uh, to Revelation. So uh, I went through the Bible 10 times in 10 years. Eggermeyer's Children's Bible Storybooks, where I learned my theology. It's a hardback, still in print, Warner Press. Eggermeyer's Children's Bible Storybook. She's an Oklahoman. Wrote the book when she was 80. Never got married, never had any kids, but she was a Sunday school teacher and a school teacher. She was a great teacher. So she's got this hardback book. So I started in Genesis. I'd read the page and half of modern English, and I'd read the scripture, then I'd walk into class. And I just, I didn't ever carry a Bible with me. I said, okay, today we're talking about Genesis, and I'd just take off. Now, I tried to never finish a class. Well, we'll pick this up tomorrow. What happened? We'll pick it up tomorrow. Yeah, well, what happened? We'll look it up in your own Bible. And so... So this kid, this senior kid, about 30, he's frustrated. So where's that at? Half and I, chapter 2 and verse 4. Well, he came back on Friday. He said, Michigan, there's not a half and I in the Bible. That's right, son. That's how stupid you are. <laughs> God wrote one book. Volume 2 is not coming out. He's sticking with the volume 1. Read the stinking book. Because that's where faith comes from. Faith comes by hearing, hear by the word of God. You need to get some faith in you because you've got to believe God for a lot of stuff on this planet. But it's, it works, but you've got to do it. So what we're going to do this morning, it's real simple. It's from my years and years ago. I'm going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 20. And uh, great passage of scripture. Now, it's Jesus. He's talking. And... Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I have to say this every time I come to Texas because Texas is real big on the King James and I know that, God bless them. And I study the King James, but I don't speak King James. I speak modern English. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's like a greased banana peel. It goes real good. So this is the story. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to pick up verse 17. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and he took 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed by the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. They're going to sentence him to die. They're going to hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, he's just talking. And they're, they're oblivious. They didn't understand. They never understood until he died. They didn't understand when he did die. You're going, what? I thought you were coming to establish the kingdom. Yeah, but it's not like you think. It's a different kingdom. And so he's just said that. Well, as soon as he finishes saying that, verse 20, a lady speaks up. 
there were women that traveled with Jesus, cooked and cleaned, got reservations and places for them. So then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. Now, these people that followed Jesus, they had been healed and uh, delivered and set free of demons. They knew he was the son of God. They didn't understand what his job was. They knew he was the son of God. And many of them left everything to follow him and serve him. And so she's one of them. And so she comes to him and she knows this guys he, he's the man. So she knelt down respectfully. And he said, well, what do you, what's your request? She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in place of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they said, we are able. They're aggressive boys. We are able. Well, oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. He said, I don't pick that. Only my father picks that. Then he said, when the other uh, ten disciples uh, heard what, was, what, was, what they had asked, they got mad. The Bible says they were indignant. That means they've been out of shape. And they said, you, asked, you got your mother to ask for you to sit in place of honor? Well, at least my mother loves me enough to be here. Where's your mom at? Message translation, it's real entertaining. <laughs> and so, geez, so, so he had to calm them down. So when the other ten disciples heard this, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know, rulers of this world lord over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be uh, first among you must take, take the last place, must be your slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, you don't understand what I'm doing here. I'm here to serve. We're not taking over. I'm here to serve. We're not going to kick the Romans out. You, you misunderstood my reason for coming. And so they're trying to get a handle on him. Well, James and John's mom is a smart woman. She'd been following for a while. She'd been, she was with, when they left Galilee, she'd been with them for months. So uh, she's listening. The day before Jesus had preached a sermon, and she had been listening. The mother of James John, she's there. And here's what she heard the day before. Uh, verse 22. They're all talking. They're all gathered together. Then Peter said to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of it? You know, every human wants to get something. What are you doing? Are you doing this for free? No. No, very few would do stuff for free. But see, the body of Christ is different. <laughs> Uh, that got quiet right there. <laughs> Jesus replied, well, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you have been with me, my followers, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So she said, what, what's going to happen? Well, there's 12 apostles been following Jesus. He picked this 12 out. We're going to sit on thrones. My boy's going to sit on thrones. Well, if we're going to sit on thrones, we might as well sit on the top too. I mean, that's what people think. Like, well, I don't sit on the bottom. Of course, you know, Jesus already told the parable about, you know, you get invited to dinner, don't take the top seat or you're going to be asked to sit down at the other end of the table. Jesus said, take the bottom seat, and then when they ask you to come up, you'll get honor. But if you're asked to sit down, you're going to look stupid. So don't ever take the top seat. 
Don't take the top chair. Don't take the, take the back. And then you, that's a good sermon. <laughs> so, so he's going through this process. And so she's heard this. So she's saying, well, I want my son to sit in places of honor. And if you don't have your mother love you enough to be here, then that's your problem. So in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, this is where uh, we kind of got to back up because Jesus always picked the apostles. You went out, well, how did they get picked? I mean, what, what was the process? Well, the Bible's real clear about this. So this is Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 16. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once, at once, and they followed him. A little further up the shore, there were Zebedee's sons, James and John. He had a boat they were repairing, and their net there. So he called them at once, he said. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired men. Now, I've got to kind of slow this up because people get bent out of shape. Well, Jesus walked around having people follow him. Well, you know, fishermen worked hard. That was a hard job, cleaning the nets, throwing them out, cleaning them when you got the fishing. It was a hard job. And so uh, it wasn't a, you know, eight-hour-a-day job. It was an all-day job. And so I think, well, if Jesus wants me to follow you, yeah, I'm dump this net. I'm tired of fishing anyhow. I stink everywhere I go. I'll follow you. But that's not what they did. Uh, Zebedee owned a fleet of fishing vessels. He was not a poor man. And it said there were other laborers there with him. So when James and John left, his sons left, he didn't leave them empty. Beside that, he just come from uh, a great story. Matter of fact, look at this. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 5. So one day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd pressed into him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats in the water. So the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping onto one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now get out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Well, I have to tell this all the time. Uh, I've been to Israel several times. You don't fish. Uh, they fished in the Sea of Galilee, but they fished at night in the shallow. They didn't fish in the deep in the day. The fish are not in the deep in the day. They're in the shallow at night. That's where they'd fish all night. They'd fish all night. And so, so he says, you know, launched into the deep for a great catch of fish. I'm sure Peter thought, listen, Lord, you're a good carpenter. I got a lot of your furniture. You know, we, we love your stuff. And because uh, uh, Jesus' brother still owned the carpenter shop. They, he didn't go out of business. So we got a lot of your furniture, but you don't know anything about fishing. You wouldn't ask me to go right now. But he knows he's known for looking stupid. And so he sees everybody staring at him. All right, we'll go. We'll go out and we'll let down the nets for the fish. And so it says, so Grandin says, so Simon replied, well, we worked hard all night and didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll let down the net again. Now, many translators say he let down one net, not nets plural. Now, the New Living says nets plural, but the King James said he only threw one net. He didn't want to have to clean that net again. Okay, I'll humor him and I'll throw one net over. So he goes out. Let's down this time. The nets were so full of fish that it began to sink. A shout for help brought the other partners out. James and John brought their boats out. Were their boats filled with fish? Were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus said, 
Oh, Lord, please leave me. leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. When the others were with him, uh, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. What happened? Man, we got a boatload of fish here. This is, this is awesome. And so, uh, so people said, well, he took the kiss and he left. Yeah, but when he left, he left, he left two full boats of fish. Nobody ever caught a full boat. Yeah, good days you caught a lot. Some days you didn't catch anything. Like they'd just done that. Now they caught nothing that night. But now they got two boats packed full. That The boats were sinking. They barely got them back to shore. And so Jesus took the two boys to go with him, but he didn't leave Zebedee empty. He left them loaded. God's not ever going to ask you to do something that he won't repay back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You know, when I, when I went in the ministry, I had a great job, brand new home in Missouri, new car. And so I knew I was called. Well, I went kind of wacky. Most people do when they get spirit-filled. And so I gave my car away to one of my friends. He needed another car, so I gave my Impala away and uh, gave my, most of my furniture away. And we sold our house, and so we came to Tulsa to go to Bible school. And it took us three years to get through a two-year school because we moved real slow. And so we have two minimum wage jobs between the Two of us, actually three minimum wage jobs. I was working two, two jobs. I worked from noon after I got out of Bible school to five o'clock at one company. And then I walked down the road a half a mile and started with another company at five o'clock and worked till midnight. And I did that for three years. We were barely putting a gallon of milk on the table. And family members would call and they'd send us big gallon chunks of peanut butter. They thought we were starving to death, you know. Oh, dear God, you know, you got in some cult. My dad thought I was in a cult. So he sent the Baptist diggies to my house to get me delivered. I said, I'm not in the cult. I got spirit-filled. I'm hanging out with the full gospel businessmen. I'm chasing Jesus. And it's not easy, but I'm chasing Jesus. I know who he is. I know what he's done. And it's going to be better at the end. I can't see the end, but when I get there, it's going to be a whole lot better. God never asked anybody to do something stupid. And so, so anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm finally getting out of school, and I'm on a church staff, and and I had so many kids, they thought I knew something about parenting. Well, I don't. I know how to have them. I don't know what to do with them once they show up. I hadn't read that book yet. So I just wanted a big family. My grandpa had big, I wanted a ton of kids. I want somebody to take me to dinner on Sunday. I'm not exactly, I want you, I'm, some kid take me to dinner on Sunday. I want you to send me on a cruise. I want you to buy me a Winnebago. So from birth, I've told all six of my kids, you can ask saying, I've told my kids from birth, you owe me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, you owe me. I birthed you, bathed you, taught you how to talk and walk and diagram a sentence. I helped you get out of school. I helped you get into college. I fixed your crooked teeth, bought your first car. I paid for your wedding and your honeymoon. You owe me. So I've never said to my kids, I'll be glad when you're out of my house. Those words have never crossed my lip. I have said, you owe me. Good measure. And so I've got a... I've got a, a new pickup truck and two cruises out of that deal. I tell my kids, you save up. Don't you buy me anything cheap. I go to Walmart myself. You buy me something, it better be something you either drive up the drive, it better be a cruise going somewhere. You owe me. And so my kids have never bought me anything cheap. And so uh, I've got, like I said, a truck, two nice cruises. And so usually at Christmas time, Dad, we're saving up. Good. Big Winnebago. I want the big one. I want the big one. And people think I'm joking. No, I'm ready. You call my kids and ask, you owe me. So Jesus comes, you hold me, good measure, pressed down, shaking together. 
And so I never kicked anybody out early. So with that in mind, I'll read this passage from, uh, this is from Luke chapter 9. Um, Jesus, is, he's got the apostles, he's doing his ministry. And, uh, well, let's go back and pick this up. When he, when, he, when he called the apostles out, he named them. So this is uh, Mark chapter 3. I'll just jump into verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went on a mountain, uh, and he called the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him, and he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. And he, they were to come to him, and he would send them out to preach, giving authority to cast out demons. Whoa. And these were the 12 he chose, Simon, who he named Peter, then James and John, who he also named, Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Now, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe. Two of his apostles, he nicknamed. He didn't nickname any of the others, but two of them he nicknamed. Who do you call them? Well, those are the sons of thunder. Why? Well, they're like bikers. They got vests on. You don't want to mess with them. They're the sons of thunder. So you got to read some scripture to find out. This is the sons of thunder. This is uh, Luke chapter 9, oh, uh, verse 51. As time drew near for him to ascend to uh, heaven, Jesus... Uh, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knows he's going to the cross, going to Jerusalem. So he sent messengers ahead uh, to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people at the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. They didn't want him. When James and John heard this, they said to Jesus, well, Lord, should we call fire from heaven and burn them up? Let's just fry them right now. That's the sons of thunder. Now, there's a lot more scriptures. That's all the time I give you. But these were nasty boys. These are the sons of thunder. They're going to whip you standing up. These other ten, they're okay, but uh, these are the sons of thunder. They're good. Anyhow, so when he did that, uh, I go to uh, Luke chapter 5, and I'll read what happened. Uh, Luke chapter 5, um, starting verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching in the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed into him, listening to, to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats, you know, James and John, they got their boat there, Peter, Andrew. So the two boats at the water's edge. So he called for them and said, can I use your boat? He said, sure. Well, push back out into the water so I can get up so I can see all the people. And so after he finished preaching uh, to the crowds there, he finished, said, well, let's go out into the deep for a great catch of fish. You all know the story. He went out. We're going. We're going to catch a bunch of fish, and he did. And the boat's loaded, and so everything's everything's moving. And so you've got to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together because this is Matthew gives some, Luke gives some, John gives some. So you've got to read the whole thing. So it's like there's a lot going on. Matthew shared things that Luke didn't share. Luke shared things that Mark didn't share. So you've got to read the whole thing. But there's a lot going on. So so all of a sudden we're in the ministry. And so this lady has knelt down and asked Jesus, I want my son to sit in place of honor. And Jesus understood. He said, well, that's not my decision. Only my father can decide that. Well, Jesus goes to the cross. He dies, comes out of the grave three days later. For 40 days, he's walking around. And he brought a lot of former dead people with him. People's aunts and uncles came out. And said, that looks like my uncle Ferg over there. Well, it is. No, he died eight years ago. Well, he's back. He's back. And so they saw relatives all over town. So 40 days later, Jesus goes up in the cloud and goes to heaven. And so the ministry starts. Well, of the 12 apostles, 11 
had to give their lives. Now, these are guys that laid hands on the sick. They cast out devils. They got tons of people saved. What happened? Well, it got nasty. It got real nasty. And so you got to kind of read the whole scripture and realize, well, why did they, couldn't they be delivered or protected? Well, let me read this to you. Again, you got to get the whole thing. This is, this is Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 2. This is talking about James. James, you know, uh, James and John, this is his brother, James. He's the first apostle to get killed. So this King Agrippa had the apostle James killed with a sword. So 11 years after Jesus goes to heaven, the first apostle dies. Well, in heaven, uh, you read in, in the Bible where there are 12 thrones around the throne of Jesus. Jesus sitting there. He's the anointed one. And so there's 12 thrones around his. Who for? The 12 apostles. Now I don't have time. There's tons of scripture. Got 12 apostles. And eventually you got 12 more, the 12 sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons. So there's 24 thrones. 12 are the apostles. And so I imagine, you know, James dies, he goes to heaven. And so, well, welcome to heaven, God to heaven, have a seat. So he gets the first chair. Well, as the other apostles began to die, the seat started to fill up. There's one left, one empty seat left. So I'm going to read this from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. By faith, many people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Well, that's what I wanted to hear. That's good. But, next verse, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Now that's in your Bible. Some people chose death, some chose not to. The 11 to 12 apostles, just go ahead and kill me. I'm not going to deny Jesus. And some were crucified upside down, some were beheaded, some were beat to death, but they would not deny Jesus. So 11 to 12 were killed. Well, that leaves John. John, now all this, most theologians will tell you, they tried to boil John in oil. King, he didn't like him, hated his guts. We're going we're gonna to kill you bad. We're going to get a big vat of oil, and we're going to get it boiling, stoke that fire, and we're going to boil you to death in oil. Well, most theologians, they'll say this is true. Now, I can't prove it. They said they stuck John in a vat of boiling oil. He just stared at them. And they kept waiting for him to, you know, <laughs> crispy up. I'm like, he wouldn't boil. He just, hey. We threw him. And so he scared them so bad, they took him to abandon him to an island. Get him out of here. He's scary. We, we got to get rid of him. And so they banned him. So they came to Isle of Patmos. And so Revelation, it's just real short. I'm about through the sermon. It, it's Revelation where he ended up. Revelation chapter 1. And so it says it real clear. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, 
which God gave him to show the servants uh, that he, what he must, uh, what he's going to do very soon. He sent an angel to prevent uh, to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is the report of the word of God uh, and the testament of Jesus Christ. God blessed the one who reads the words of this prophecy uh, to the church and blesses all those blessed are those who hear this message and when and do what it says for the time is near. Now, I'll give you this one summation. Revelation is the only book of the six, six books that says this. Blessed are those who hear and understand the words of this book. They're all good. It's the Bible. It's all good. But only one book, only Revelation. Blessed are those who read and understand the words of this book. Why? It tells you how it's going to end. Now, I, I frustrate Angel, and I've told this so many times. Angel and I, we are so in love, but we're total opposites. And so... We were first married, and she said, you want to watch a movie? I said, sure. So we said, I watched a movie, and I looked over at her. We got a big screen, you know, big old thing. I said, well, how does it end? She said, what? How does it end? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Well, I'm not going to watch it. I don't watch a movie unless I know how it ends. Well, that's crazy. No. I'm not going to stay for two and a half hours and watch the good guy die, get killed, and I'll go broke. That's stupid. I'm not going to waste time watching something stupid. I'm going to guard my heart with all diligence, you know, for out of the issues of life. I don't watch stupid, listen to stupid, or sing stupid. Stupid is as stupid does. That's in a movie. <laughs> so this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace be to you from the one who is, who was, and will still be. Uh, he said uh, uh, before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness the witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from sins by the shedding of his blood for us. He made us a kingdom of priests to God, his father. All glory and power be to him forever and ever. Look, here he comes in the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all nations of the world will mourn him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And the Lord God said, I am the one who was, who is, and still is to come, the Almighty One. So he's talking about himself. This is John. So he says this, I am your brother. I'm your partner in suffering for God's kingdom and the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and about testimony about Jesus. It was on the Lord's day, and I was worshiping. And suddenly I heard a noise behind me, a voice about like a loud trumpet blast. I look, and everything you see and write down everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. So John got the revelation of what's going to happen then. He's the only one that, he only, he died of old age. John lived until he just dropped dead. But they stuck him out on an island because he wouldn't boil. He's just different. So, all the other apostles have gone to heaven. James is up there, he got the first seat. The other 11 seats were filled. There's one empty seat. It's in heaven by the throne of God. There says Jesus. He's on the throne. Who's these? These are the apostles. Four scriptures say they go to there and they sit on these thrones. Well, there's one throne empty. Well, finally, John died. He goes to heaven. Where did he sit? In the last empty seat. So when he gets there, he's, he's his brother. He's James over here. There's 12 seats. There's one empty seat, so he takes the last seat. Who took the first seat? His brother James. Who took the last seat? John. 
His mother said, you let my son turn your left and your right. That's where they ended up. Don't ever not pray. God's working overtime to answer our prayers. Some prayers get answered quickly. Some don't answer for years. I told people, there was 12 years I was praying for some. I thought, people would ask me, you sure you heard from God? Yes. Well, how come it hadn't happened? I have no idea. But I know I heard from God. I'm still praying. Thanking God for it every day. I put it on a court board in my kitchen. Father, I thank you. You promised me this. You promised me this. Well, the other prayers are getting answered. How come that's, that must not be the will of God. No, it's the will of God. I know it's the will of God. It's just some lady once said, higher level, bigger devil. And so you gotta, you got to want it bad enough because the devil try to take it from you. It'll get hard. You don't see it. And the water's not flowing. The check's not coming in. What's going on? No, God didn't lie. I'm standing on God's word. God never lies. I'm his sheep. He's my shepherd. I will hear his voice. And the voice will change that one out follow. So in close today, if you're believing God for something, keep believing. Don't listen to your neighbors, your brothers, your cousins, or somebody down the street. Listen to the word of God. Stand on that and watch it happen. And then you tell them, I stood. <laughs> Let's stand up. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, we declare your word is true. You watch over your word to perform it. Father, you look for somebody to speak your word, and we are those people, Father. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of the living God. And Father, we declare your word to be true. Your word is true, and every man's a liar. So we, Father, stand on the word of God, and we say thank you for that revelation of who we are in him, in whom, and in Christ. We thank what in Jesus' name and everybody said. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.